This is the Real Digital Transformation podcast series, empowering technology and business professionals to succeed with digital transformation. Now, here's your host, best-selling author Thomas Earl. Hi, this is Thomas Earl, and welcome to another episode of the Real Digital Transformation podcast series. Today, I have with me uh, Jeffrey Mann, a senior cybersecurity consultant with online business systems, someone who has been through the different types of scenarios and been in the trenches when it comes to security issues pertaining to digital technology adoption projects digital transformation initiatives, and I'm very much looking forward to exploring the current types of issues, the challenges, and the best practices that I'm hoping Jeff can uh, share with us uh, in the cybersecurity space as it relates to digital transformation. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, I am uh, certainly pleased to be here and, and happy to chat about all things cybersecurity and and I'll try to make it uh, relevant to your audience. Thank you so much. So cybersecurity has become a focal point in digital transformation initiatives. We are putting more and more of our data out there um, as part of our digital technology adoption efforts, as part of wanting to be more um, competitive and staying on par with other types of organizations that are putting more of their IT assets, their data, their, um, their the, the functionality that they want to improve to develop closer relationships with clients and just broaden broadening their online presence. So by doing so, the general mantra is that you naturally increase the risk of breaches, you inc- increase the risk of security, um, uh, vulnerabilities being uh, introduced and you increase the risk of successful attacks simply because you put more of your stuff out there for that um, accessibility to be made available. So given that, given what you've seen, first of all, is that true based on the current state of cybersecurity um, technology and the tools that are there to help prevent um, any sort of uh, uh, breaches or attacks, or is it just a natural inevitability that the more we put out there, the more at risk we are? Um, more or less, I would say that's a, a fair characterization. I, I might, you know, uh, posture it a little bit differently. I, I have not only been in the trenches for a long time, I've essentially been in the trenches as long as we've been doing this thing that uh, 30 years ago we were calling internet security. And the premise at the very beginning was, uh, you know, in, in the way back, there were organizations that uh, started off with everybody had a, a desktop PC. If you can remember those days, the early ones didn't even have a hard drive. So there wasn't really much of an issue of having any kind of sensitive or critical data stored anywhere electronically or digitally, um, uh, that just wasn't a thing. Uh, And then uh, networking systems came about. And so companies, organizations of all sizes and shapes and and, uh, 
verticals, industries, you know, started buying computers that would network their employees together. And, uh, and then the thing that happened was uh, the internet became more publicly available. I mean, the internet had been around for uh, well over a decade, and I'm talking in the early 90s now. Um, but it was generally accessible mostly to, to governments and research universities and you know, organizations doing lots of uh, super secret stuff. And, and some of the early breaches uh, that were recorded, uh, you know, were basically espionage. Uh, you know, back in those days, we had this very clearly defined enemy, um, you know, which was the Soviet Union. And, 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 and to qualify, I am a U.S. citizen. I am U.S.-based. So my context is U.S., although I think, you know, it hopefully translates to a, a larger international audience, as it were. But um, the, 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 the posture or the approach to, and we didn't even call it cybersecurity back then, but the approach was if you're going to start plugging into this global what essentially was a backbone and start connecting everybody um, that was going to introduce some risk. But in the early days, and because I, I came uh, from a government background, a, a DOD department of defense background, um, the, you know, what became sort of the strategy or the methodology for protecting organizations was you have to protect from this vast, unknown that was depicted in the early days on network diagrams as a cloud, interestingly enough. Uh, and that was this thing called the internet. Um, you know, so in the early days, the idea was very much based on military tactics that go back centuries, if not millennia, is that you, you have your most valuable resources, whether it's data or information or people, research data, proprietary data, you know, whatever it is, you keep it in the bowels of the inner, innermost parts of your network. And if you're going to connect to the internet, you would create sort of a, a barrier, uh, uh, what was in the early days called a demilitarized zone. Again, very much, very much a, a, a DOD military tactical type of sense. Um, but the idea was uh, you put the stuff that you don't care about out on the edges, and as you get closer to the inside, you, you start increasing your protections. But the reality was most people created what we used to call this sort of crunchy exterior. You know, It started by putting up firewalls and various things that would be perimeter protections because everything was inside, you know, much like... Um, uh, a castle, you know, think medieval castles that were built on hills and were easily defended, but, you know, had walls around them and moats and, and all sorts of things. Um, there's a, a, a city, uh, I think it's in Italy. I, I have a, 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 an aerial photograph of this city that was, you know, founded like in the year 1000 or something like that, where you can see the literal layers of protection and you can obviously understand that, you know, the defense was, you know, try to protect against the bad guys breaking in layer after layer after layer. Now, as technology has advanced and, and the, uh, the trend, if you will, the, the way that the world is going, where uh, that thing that was evil and unknown that was portrayed as a cloud 
is now the cloud, which is where we like to put all of our applications and data and do a lot of our business. Um, so it, it, in one sense, it's where it's, it's blown up and, 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 um, uh, you know, made irrelevant sort of the, the, the pretense, uh, the idea of, of establishing a, a secure perimeter and keeping all of your sensitive data on the outside. So that's kind of all thrown out the window. Uh, good or bad, that's the reality. So now the, the, the focus has been over the last couple of years and, and, you know, under the, um, the guise of data transformation as, as, uh, or digital transformation as organizations are migrating, uh, you know, not just their web servers and their application and e-commerce servers out to cloud-hosted third-party sites. They're putting infrastructure out there. And in fact, um, most of what we do in any particular organization these days, the core elements of the applications and all the services that we use are no longer sitting in a corporate network or in a corporate data center, whether it's, you know, hosted on site, what we call on premise, or whether it's at a, a hosting facility, which is uh, an early version of what we call cloud hosting. And of course the technology has advanced to the point where it just, it makes good business sense. Uh, you know, the performance power, the, the availability of data, the ease of access, the, you know, certain things have happened in the world over the last couple of years where, um, it, you know, necessarily people weren't going to a building. And so they were working remotely. I've happened to have worked remotely for, uh, almost 25 years. So it wasn't a big deal for me, but there's a lot of people that had never worked from home before. And so, uh, the whole idea of trying to pr provide cybersecurity to something that's no longer something that you can sort of physically or metaphorically have your arms wrapped around uh, has been a real challenge. And of course, there's many um, vendors and technologies and tools that ha that are, have sprung up in the last couple of years that are now starting to focus. And I think most organizations understand, as you were describing, there's there's certainly a risk, if nothing else, about putting all your your sensitive data, your your technology resources somewhere where you don't have control over it, somewhere where you may or may not have somebody that really completely understands what's going on. You're basically uh, trusting a lot of different third-party organizations, applications to do certain things to protect your data. So there is certainly an awareness and there's certainly... Uh, uh, technologies and strategies out there, but it has required um, rethinking things. Um, uh, I'll pause for a minute. Uh, I could keep going, but I'll let you ask another question. Yeah, no, thank you, Jeff. That that's you know you you just um, very concisely summarized um, how we got to this point mm -hmm. where the roots of cybersecurity um, uh, lie and and how it needs to continue to evolve in order to um, ensure that we can also evolve the digital transformation goals we have. Because mm -hmm. if we get to a point where there's a lot of great new digital technology out there that needs to be cloud-based, but it results in many new security problems, then we might find ourselves going backwards instead of forwards. Um, so in, in terms of where we're at right now, from what you see, uh, 
how safe is it? If you know, if a organize, if a, if we have a startup and we mm-hmm. say, you know what, there's no point in having a premises whatsoever. Let's let's just not do anything on premises. Let's just build it in the cloud. All right. the tech is there. All the infrastructure is there. Financially, it makes sense. Yep. Um, let's build it up there, develop it there, and then just you know move forward with with that being our business. It'll be wholly in the cloud. Is that a you know, I know it can vary depending on what you're doing, what kind of data you have, right. which cloud provider you choose, or if you go multi-cloud. Those are all factors that, mm-hmm. of course, need to be understood and researched before you, you know, proceed with this. But in general, are we at a point where it's relatively safe to do that? Or are we at a point where we're, we're not yet there to invest 100% of what we do in the cloud because... It just makes our business, despite regardless of how what the the potential is of the business, it might be a high revenue, uh, a business with high revenue potential, innovative. It might introduce new things the market wants. Mm-hmm. If we put that out there, the more the more noise it makes, the more attractive it is to customers. The more it will also catch the attention of those who want to bring it down. Um, is that a wise choice? Are we at a point where it's relatively safe to do that or should we wait another three, five years? So I'll give you the the short answer and then I'll back it up a little bit with a longer answer. Um, the, the short answer is yes and no. Um, <laughs> the, uh, one of the interesting um, aspects of our industry, the industry of cybersecurity, as it were, is that... Um, and this is not something that we talk about a lot, so maybe I should whisper and speak in hushed tones. But <laughs> uh, for the vast majority of us, us being individuals, citizens, organizations, institutions, um, most of the attacks that are out there, most of the the threat actors, the bad guys that are uh, they're not even wanting to do harm for the most part. They're, they, they're, they're a business at these days, just like everybody else. They're trying to make money um, and they're trying to find ways to do it. But the majority of what they're doing is not targeting specific individuals and not targeting specific organizations. The vast number of breaches that we've read about and heard about and and are almost a daily occurrence, if they're newsworthy, if they're big enough to to make it to the news, but if you you uh, dig into it a little bit and and find organizations that keep track of breaches and where they're happening and who they're happening to, they're happening all the time. But the vast majority of them are uh, sort of, you know, just they're not targeting anybody in particular, any organization in particular. They're just looking for somebody that's vulnerable to whatever attack there is that they're, they're trying to launch. And, um, it's, you know, it's just a matter of chance that it happens to be you. Um, so from that perspective, you know, any individual or organization or institution these days, that's taking a reasonable pr- approach to migrating, uh, to cloud operations, to going through this digital transformation, I'd say the ma- the vast majority of them are safe. But what they need to consider is that um, 
and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying this having nearly 40 years in the business and really doing what we used to call data or information security before the days of computing, um, the, the, if there was a targeted, focused attack, if somebody wanted to target you as a specific organization or individual, there's very few organiza organizations out there that can invest enough to do all the things that need to be done to completely eliminate the chance of a breach. Uh, it, it's it's There's no amount of money or budget out there that can really do that because there are so many different ways and methods that a, a bad guy, an attacker, a threat actor uh, will do, uh, it would be willing to do if they wanted to go after you specifically. And, and that, that leads to, it's not a new problem. This has been true uh, all along, um, but it's, it's brought more to a head when uh, the general awareness overall of, gee, bad things could happen. There's risks involved. Um, there's dangers, there's threats, there's vulnerabilities. These terms are thrown around all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it generally, if you're, if you're worried about a specific individual, a specific organization, and if you've done more or less your due diligence and you're using reputable, uh, firms to to outsource things to to partner with to uh, invest in technology and products. Um, you're, you're probably in pretty good shape. I wouldn't say hold off, but what I also would add to that, I, what I would counter with that is there's a there's a a good amount of cybersecurity that's not technology related at all. At all. Um, I, I sort of believe that the principles of data or information security have never changed. Um, they, uh, you know, again, at a high level, uh, classically, data security talks about three different facets or aspects. Uh, it's often illustrated as three legs of a stool for whatever reason. But the, the, the ideas are pretty simple and straightforward and most people can grasp them. It's the idea that you have uh, data that you want to keep secret, that you want to keep protected, that you don't want anybody to get access to. And that's called confidentiality. There's also an aspect of you want to make sure that the data and the information that you have is reliable. It hasn't been altered. It hasn't been modified. That's called integrity. There's also the idea of you want to have the data available when you need to have it, when you want to have it. You want to be able to get all that throughput and all the uh, you know, real-time answers to all the burning questions that you have in order to run your business and, and optimize your operations. That's called integrity. Those haven't really changed a whole lot. What has changed in our digital age is all this technology has not necessarily solved all those problems. Uh, people understand those problems, but the, the technology has introduced almost new types of data, new forms of information that are not the traditional things we think about that are that is also valuable information. Things like uh, your browsing habits, uh, 
you know, and a lot of companies have latched onto this over the years. You know, think of any retail operation where you have a, a membership, so they keep track of all your purchases, so that you can get a coupon and get a discount. And they're doing it a lot of this what, what we used to call ten years ago or so big data. You know, they're keeping track of people's spending habits, people's purchasing habits, so they can make sure they have the right products on the shelf and move them and make money. And that all seems kind of reasonable. But all that information at some level could be viewed as sensitive information, um, especially from a consumer perspective. Uh, you know, if you're uh, you know, at a pharmacy and you're buying certain pharmaceuticals, that might be an indicator that you might have some sort of health problem that may or may not be uh, something that you want people to know about and so on and so forth. And I'm not saying this is a specific problem. I'm just trying to, to use that as, as an example of the types of information. Uh, certainly our, our, our social media habits, where we're going, what we're doing, how long we're lingering, their sales and marketing departments uh, throughout the land, throughout all organizations that want that information so they can optimize their their sales pitches, their marketing techniques, their you know all all as a way to you know to make money, optimize the business, increase revenue, and so on and so forth. Let me ask you, Jeff, on, mm -hmm. on that topic. In terms of the percentage of breaches and attacks that are occurring, is it predominantly um, attempts to steal data? Is that the number one type of cybersecurity threat right now? Or how would you rank that, you know, based on the overall nature of the attacks that are occurring Yeah, I, I've not seen recent statistics, and I and I know there are you know several organizations that will put out uh, you know annual reports on breach statistics, and and uh, you know there's the Verizon data breach report is one, uh, not endorsing it or anything, just throwing that out there is one that I know off the top of my head. My my gut tells me that in the early days, and of course I've seen this, I, I've spent almost 20 years working in a very specific aspect of cybersecurity called the payment card industry, which is all about the security of credit and debit cards. Um, because 20, 25 years ago, that's what was being stolen because that, that from a bad guy's perspective was easy to monetize either to use it themselves to commit fraud or, or, you know, when there was breaches where tens and 20 millions of cards were being stolen, they were sold off in bundles on what now is come to be known as the dark web. Uh, but, you know, you could go online and, and for a hundred dollars, you could get a, you know, 10,000 credit cards and they may be good. They may be active or not, but you know, the bad guys were making money by selling them in bulk type of thing. Um, But that sort of shifted, and, and most people are, are aware that the trend these days is ransomware based on various phishing attacks and social engineering attacks and, and you know, clicking on links and things like that. But, uh, you know, again, from the bad guy's perspective, that's become more lucrative. It's, it's certainly easier to just launch that stuff out and, you know, You know, it's called phishing for several reasons, but like phishing, you're 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 casting your bait out, waiting to see what's going to bite. You know, again, not necessarily specifically targeting, but certainly, uh, it, it, you know, there's certain industries and verticals and 
and types of companies that are more susceptible to those types of attacks because they've historically had limited budgets and, and have, have considered themselves to be not lucrative targets uh, because they don't have any valuable information to steal. But if you can convince them to pay a ransom uh, uh, and unlock all their data so that they can continue to you know, engage in commerce or run government or a school system, you know, that's become more the thing these days. So I think there's a, a transformation going on in terms of what's motivation, you know, what's the motivation for the bad guys and the attackers. And really it's a, it's a, it's an economic thing. It's a financial thing. They, they far off more often than not, they're doing it to uh, make money. Uh, that's not to completely discount that there are, you know, there's still a nation state problem and there's still, you know, geopolitical problems and the idea of in the early days, we called it information warfare. The, the idea that the, the internet and the digital world would become the next battlefield. In a lot of ways, that's true. That's an element of it, but hopefully the governments are the ones that are primarily taking care of that. Jeff, um, yep. if you don't mind, I'd like to go back to what you said about um, being susceptible to things like ransomware mm -hmm. attacks, which mm -hmm. I, which brings up the issue of how how um, what is the general percentage of uh, responsibility when it comes to there being vulnerabilities that are exploited uh, in in terms of the the tech, the uh, security, the cloud security automation technology, or the tools being used, mm -hmm. um, versus human error that uh, can simply result in um, missed configurations or taking incorrect actions or some form of negligence, resulting in there being a vulnerability that results in a breach. Um, what what is the biggest problem if you had to rank you know the the primary mm -hmm. the, the top three or top five biggest um concerns or problem areas relating to cybersecurity today what would be what the, what would they be and where would human error rank among them um in my opinion uh and again this is based on having been in the trenches and, and living this for the better part of 40 years and and i've been in the private sector uh you know, working with mostly commercial companies for almost 30 years now yeah i call it 25 round up round down um in my opinion uh i would i would not necessarily characterize human error as high on the list but it depends on how you define human error if you define human error as clicking on a link or falling for a, a you know a phishing uh, attack or a phone scam and of course there's numerous variations of that type of thing going on if you call that human error uh, yeah then it's up there it's high but I, I don't necessarily call that human error what I see is the larger problem uh, and it's economic in nature again uh, especially in the private sector is there are um, 
and I and again, I have to confess a bias because I've been working in the PCI world for twenty years, where there is this mandate, and it's not government; it's it's private industry saying it's all the major card brands saying if you want to do business and accept our payment cards, you must follow these rules. So there's this big stick all of a sudden available that made a whole lot of companies start taking security a little bit more seriously in theory. Uh, and, and, and PCI has been going on for almost 20 years and has made a huge difference. Um, but what I see as the problem is there's too many companies out there, too many organizations, too many industry verticals uh, that basically don't have a reason to do cybersecurity. And in that, I mean, they're, they're not uh, bound by any regulatory compliance, whether it's government or private industry related. Therefore, again, from a strictly a business decision, uh, there, have, there has been human error at the, at the board level saying, why should we spend a whole lot of money in this uh, when we don't have to? Um, I, I don't call that human error. I typically call that willful ignorance. Uh, and again, that's changing because I think more companies and organizations and boards are recognizing uh, we've got to do something. And there's certainly companies and organizations and people out there that go to great lengths to do the right thing and, and secure their environments and secure their data and protect their their businesses. Um, there's some verticals that have been doing it longer. You know, financial institutions, banks have been doing it from the very beginning because they had the stuff that was easy to steal and, and the most lucrative in terms of uh, monetizing it money, you know, so that was the first target. The second target was credit and, and debit cards. Uh, and it's gone from there. But, uh, what I see as a need, uh, and I think to some degree it's human nature, which again, you could call human error or not. I, I, I call it willful, willful ignorance where, uh, companies, organizations, boards, leaderships, don't believe they need to invest in security. They don't need, they don't think they need to invest as much as their people say that they need to invest. And, and at some level, it's a business decision. It's an economic decision. We call it a risk decision. Um, but it, it's, nobody can afford to do everything that they need to do. So the, really the, the trick, the, the goal is to do what's enough to uh, protect your environment at a, at, at a you know at a, at a dollar spending level and an investment level of people time and resources that still enables you to you know be profitable and make you know earn earn a living if you're that type of company which most companies are so in terms of um, looking at it, from a strategic perspective, I, I fully mm -hmm. understand that, you know, we mm -hmm. can call it strategic human error, perhaps. But mm -hmm. um, in terms of the top three or top five um, biggest problem areas uh, in the trenches where it happens, people taking the wrong action or systems mm -hmm. not being in place that should be in place or perhaps being misconfigured or Again, uh, also the use of AI now. So that enters the picture both from a defense and right. an, an attacking perspective. Right now, in, in, in the mid in, in mid two thousand twenty three, what would what, what were the biggest issues be around cybersecurity right now? 
Well, I'll rattle off a few, and, and unfortunately, if you'd have asked me this question 30 years ago, they may be the same things, um, but, you know, in, in, in no particular order. Um, you know, I've sort of already highlighted one, which is sort of the, you know, corporate attention. You know, we, we should be aware of this and do something about it. Um, another way of characterizing that would be, and I say this flippantly sometimes, but I, I'm kind of serious, is a lot of people just don't care. A lot of organiza organizations just don't care. And, and they don't care about security the way security professionals uh, care about security. Let's put it that way. Um, but that leads to a second problem that I think is a big problem, is that uh, the security professionals out there uh, have done, and, and I'm, I'm torn on this. I, I think it's I think both parties are guilty. Both ends of the communication is are, are guilty. We as security professionals have done a poor job of articulating in a way that our uh, audience, our, our, our management, our, our, our companies, our clients have been able to understand uh, the need to have the right level of investment and, and attention and focus to security. I think we've done a poor job of explaining that, the collective we, but I also believe the, our, our audience, the, the, the boards and the, and the, and the leadership and, and companies um, have also uh, not necessarily been listening or uh, certainly have not gotten the same message that we intended. But I put that on us. I, I, you know, it, it, it's one thing to um, uh, say something and articulate something very clearly in a way that you think the intended recipient surely must understand. It's another thing to actually make sure that they're actually understanding and, and getting it and understanding it and, and embracing it the way you want them to. Um, I, I don't have a name for that. I just, I, you know, communication is an issue. Silos, uh, the the perceived uh, agendas, the idea that security interrupts the business, it, it, it is disruptive, and so on and so forth. You could call them excuses. You could call them reality. But that is that has been a trend from the very beginning. But me personally, as a professional, I believe it's my job to explain to my clients in a way that they understand the reality of the need for security, the reality of why it should matter to them. And, and I, I, I like to think I do a pretty good job of articulating it, it in a way that my clients can say, yeah, that makes sense. Because security, as we said early on, Everybody some grasps at some level, you know, the data is out there somewhere and it's stuff that we need to protect. We should be doing something about it. The other, other big problem is uh, sort of a perception problem. And again, right or wrong, who's at fault uh, is, is arguable or debatable. But there is a perception in many of the organizations that I've worked with over the years that takes place in one of two ways. One is a belief that in an organization, security is somebody else's problem or security is being handled and taken care of by somebody else. I, as a, an employee, 
sh- don't have to worry about it uh, because it's being done for me. And, and there's some truth to that. You know, there there are many times security organizations, security practitioners that are doing all the things that need to be done. But there's a belief that if I'm accessing a corporate website, if I'm accessing a corporate application, if I'm doing something somebody's taking care of it on the back end in terms of whatever security is required, whether it's configurations or monitoring or logging or limiting access or controlling the level of access or right. uh, all those types of things. But the, the other thing I see is um, sort of related to that is uh, very often nobody knows who that other <laughs> Who, who's who's supposed to be doing this? It's somebody else, but nobody really knows who that somebody else is. Very often the people that are the ones that really are the somebody else. But there's also a perception that the, the, the those that are responsible surely would understand that everybody within the organization understands their role and their place and knows what they should and shouldn't be doing and are following those use acceptable use policies and ethics policies. And they're certainly not going to engage in bad behaviors and do all the bad things that, oh. that are also vulnerabilities and put organizations at risk. So, Jeff, what you've been describing just now um, is somewhat procedural or organizational. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, which I guess ties back to um, perhaps uh, poor strategic planning, poor um, organizational responsibility allocation, communication, and all that then carries over into what actually happens within the uh, IT enterprise. Um, in terms of, this is my last question for you, Jeff. Uh, well, before the last question, let me, let me just sort of try to put a little bit of a bow on it with an illustration of what we were just talking about. Okay. Um, absolutely procedural. When I, when I talk about there's other aspects of cybersecurity that need to be considered, it's, it's, the, it's the organized thought, it's the strategy, it's the planning, it's what we're going to do with it. The, big, the other big thing that people mistake is that technology will solve everything uh, and from a security perspective. We just need another this, we just need another widget, we just need a little blinky box. Um, and, and to some degree, I think that's legitimate. There's certainly organizations out there that should reasonably expect that the technology that they've invested in is secure, uh, you know, out of the box. That happens to kind of fly in the face of the reality of technology most of the time. But there's certainly a belief that technology and automation will solve all the problems. Quick example, again, going back to the PCI uh, world, uh, uh, you know, it, there's this thing called the PCI Data Security Standard. It's a set of a roughly 440, 400 to 450 requirements of things that you need to do that roll up under 12 major requirements that in turn roll up to six overarching, again, security goals that are just kind of basic for how you do security in an organization. Um, of those let's say 450 controls, uh, almost half of them are not technology related at all. They have to do with, do you have policies and procedures and a documented way that you're doing things in place? And then there's the specific things that you do because you know technology is necessary. Um, but what I see missing most of the time is the strategy and the organized thought and planning and, and pro- procedures 
that are documented in, in formal processes uh, so that they're repeatable and anybody can pick it up and follow it. That seems to be missed uh, within PCI, without PCI, across all the world. Technology is solving all sorts of problems and introducing so many capabilities. A, surely the technology must be secure that we're using. B, somebody else has thought about the problems and are taking care of it. So that C, as a consumer, as a user, I just get to do what I want. That's, I think, the essence of the, of the problem. So last question. <laughs> um, super. So right now, uh, AI is being discussed in all kinds of, you know, uh, areas of life, areas of... Boy, life. is it. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, so right now, going back to the trenches, AI as part of your security defense, mm -hmm. um, AI-driven attacks or t attacks that are planned using AI. Right. Um, how much of a reality is that right now? <laughs> so uh, coincidentally, I am at an industry conference today. And would you believe that the hot topic and in, in most of the vendors that are displaying somewhere on their banners and many of the talks and little side talks throughout this entire industry conference are talking about AI or talking about chat GPT. Um, there is something real about this. It's very early. There's certainly a lot of hype, like every other technolo te technological advance that has happened over the last however many years we want to go back. Um, you know, imagine how disruptive the steam engine was, you know, 150, 200 years ago. Uh, the horseless carriage, the automobile, you know, there's, there are technical, tech, you know, I grew up with a typewriter. When's the last time you saw a typewriter? I grew up with a record player. When's the last time you saw a record player? Heck, when's the last time you saw a CD player or a DVD player? The world has changed. Technology continues to amaze and give us so much capability. Um, and like every other technology that's come about, AI, I would say is yet another innovation that has the potential for good, but but also the potential to be misused. And that is happening and will continue to happen. You know, but it, it, it's funny, um, you know, we used to be allowed, you know, decades to get used to new things like automobiles. You know, how long was it, you know, before every household in the country or most people owned an, an automobile? You know, it took several decades. Uh, how long was it before everybody had a home PC, you know, from the time the first one came out the door to, you know, when it was, when they were ubiquitous and everybody had one, you know, the, the time is much shorter. Um, you know, the latest technology advancement comes out, everybody's got to have it. Uh, it's happening much at a much more accelerated pace. And so there's this window where there's going to be a lot of exploitation, both from a, Uh, a bad guy threat perspective. Uh, I'd also say there's a, a, an equal amount of threat to the exploitation that's going to happen by vendors that claim AI and are able to sell their wares to a, an unwitting uh, consumer uh, because they don't know any better, but you know, it, they sure made it sound scary. Like I, I, I need to do something about it. And, and so they have really good salespeople. So they go out and buy it. And, and again, uh, okay, I've bought it. So I'm good now. Right. Without 
often taking into consideration actually using whatever defensive technology they're putting into place, uh, using it, embracing it, having a strategy for it, developing processes, knowing its limitations, uh, knowing what steps are involved to make sure that it can be used properly and, and not inadvertently you know, open up more vulnerabilities, new and different vulnerabilities, because you're not using it correctly. I mean, that's been the truth for a long time. It's just much more in our face and much more ever-present and happening faster. And before we get used to AI, there's going to be something else that comes along that, you know, AI, you know, AI will be yesterday's discussion because something else has come along that's, you know, the sky is falling and gloom and doom and, and, and the world's coming to an end. I, I guess... Um just to to add on to what you just said, we, we hear a lot about the potential risks of AI being used for malicious purposes. Yep. We also hear about the potential of AI being um, used to make security technology smarter. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm curious how much of that is a reality right now and how much of that is still on the horizon. So is, is AI a legitimate, um, uh, is it a, a legitimate form of, um, is it, is it a legitimate means by which an attacker can, uh, get, take advantage of a security architecture that is not equipped with counter offensive AI tech, um, or, or not yet. Do you not see that much yet? And then, on the flip side, is like you said, some vendors claim AI uh, technology. Uh, they, they have security tools that incorporate AI, but it may not really be that significant in terms of the extent to which it does mm -hmm. help protect your environment. You know, it, for it to be a genuine AI-driven security architecture that can learn, that can do things autonomously, perhaps. Um, what do you see right now in that regard? Is is this still a couple of years off, or is are we really in the midst of it now? Um, I mean, my caveat: if you haven't picked it picked up on it yet, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of AI. Just you know, as the latest buzzword thing, um, I have a cryptographic back background. You know, it wasn't too long ago where all the the gloom and doom concern was about quantum computing which is going to blow up all the encryption that happens on the internet. And then what are we going to do? Um, you know, that was last year's gloom and, and doom discussion. And I think there's the potential for that. There's certainly an aspect of that with AI. It has potential again for doing a lot of good things. I, I think, it, you know, when you, you go under the hood and talk to specific companies, which I've been doing for the last couple of days about what they're really doing, where they're claiming AI, what is it really? Um, you, you talk to the really smart people that are building it and, and evaluating it, and I'm not claiming to be one of those people, but m what I'm hearing mostly is, you know, it's still kind of a, a, a technology that's kind of in its, in its infancy and is certainly to some degree being overhyped, but it certainly does have a potential to get there, and I, I wouldn't wager uh to say it's years in the future um because things are moving so quickly um it's not quite where everybody claims it to be yet in terms of uh 
you know, I, I grew up in the 60s, 70s, 80s with movies and, you know, movies like The Terminator where the machines become uh, self-aware and take over the world type of thing. And realize <laughs> how many science fiction movies have we seen where the, the machines figure out that the what's killing the planet is humans, so we must eliminate the, the right. humans. Uh, I don't think we're going to get there necessarily. I think the disruption that's going to happen is much more, you know, at a, at a, at a macro level, um, putting people's jobs at risk, um, you know, people thinking that they can get away with, um, uh, well, let's, you know, why do I need to hire a marketing team? We'll just let AI crank out our marketing messages or our, our news or our technical research and reports. Or, I mean, I know people that are using, attempting to use chat GPT to, to write code, to write exploits, to write, um, ransomware and, and malware and things like that. So it, it's happening. It's not, uh, I, I wouldn't say it's mature yet, but I, I don't think it's that far off. But I'm also skeptical in that uh, maybe this blows over, you know, we figure out the place, hopefully sooner rather than later, of the appropriate place where AI can and should be used and understand its limitations and understand um, you know, perhaps the legal regulatory bounds that need to be put on it, which sounds reasonable at what level, but also, again, the skeptical part of me says, you know, good luck enforcing that. How would that even work where we operate in this digital world that in some ways knows no borders? Um, I'm, I'm not overly optimistic, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> Awesome. Well, I mean, that's good to understand from what you're experiencing. And it's good to weigh against the hype and the speculation that's out there right now mm -hmm. that um, is, is quite rampant. And, you know, it, 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 people, organizations are asking themselves, what, how do we protect ourselves? What do we do? How big of a concern is this? So it's something that certainly should be kept on the radar um, as it continues to evolve and become more real. And like you said, it, it remains to be seen to what extent um, this does become uh, as real as the speculation right now is predicting it to, to become. So, Yeah, I would say it, we're not at the point yet where you need to lose sleep over it, but you certainly should do the research and get smart on it yeah. you know, individually and corporately. Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I, I know we went way over time. I appreciate you making yourself available and you have incredibly uh, deep background in security. You've seen it all come and go and there's more to come as we've already discussed. So hopefully we can have you back sometime in the future to give us uh, a new uh, State of the Union with regards to where everything is at. But for today, thank you again. Or you can just replay the tape because some of these things don't, don't seem to change. <laughs> Maybe that's right. what we'll do too. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for your time. Appreciate thank it. you, Jeff. Take care. Thank you for listening. Follow Thomas on LinkedIn 